Hey, welcome everybody to podcast number 65 presented by Five Pin Universe. I'm your host, Kerry Kreitz. Um, we'd just like to thank All Star Bowling Sales again, um, being our sponsor for the month of June. Um, with this new program, we couldn't be doing it without them. So, um, shouts out to Shelby and All Star Bowling. Also, uh, we had a submission by Amanda Davini. She uh, did uh, some animation on our logo. So, we'll just uh, show that off here right now and then I'll roll into the all-star commercial and then we'll introduce everybody else. Hey guys, so we have the regulars again, Dexter and Tim Wiseman, Adam Weber, our, uh, we'll call them the professional podcasters now since it's been 65 <laughs> episodes of this. Um, and our special guest this week is um, definitely a special guest, somebody that's been strong in bowling in Ontario for a very long time um, and across Canada. Uh, we were talking here before the podcast. He's faced every single one of us in competition, except for, unfortunately, Dexter. But I'm sure that will be coming up here in the next few years. And we'll bring him in. He's the 2019 inducted into the Ontario Five Pin Association's Hall of Fame, Jim Head. Good evening. Hello, Hello Jim. Welcome, Jim. Nice to be here. <laughs> so... Just so people know, we'll have a little bit of feedback here for a little bit. Um, Jim's going to try and get his audio fixed partway through the podcast, but we didn't want to be late for any of you guys. So we're going to try and mute him in and out. He can still hear us, and we'll still ask him questions, and we'll wait for his responses. So hopefully we'll run this smoothly. So, um, Jim, our first question to you today is, uh, how did it feel to be inducted into the Ontario Hall of Fame? Well, uh, certainly an honor, uh, one I never thought I would achieve, but I think that was because it wasn't a goal of mine. I didn't play the tournaments I played in order to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I played the tournaments I played because I enjoy playing tournaments. Um, the Hall of Fame to me was something for the superstars that I knew when I was growing up, the Fraser Hambleys, Claudina Listas. These are, uh, well, Fraser's name you would know, Claudina's a little before your guy's time. Uh, but it would be similar to Bruce and Gino, Tom Patterson, Tom Stevenson. That age group were meant to go into the Hall of Fame. I still think I'm a competitive player. In my mind, if you're still playing competitively, you shouldn't be in, in being inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's like Marilyn Mew coming back after he's inducted to play another season. Uh, you know, I would have been at our Open if we had had, had it at Easter. But, uh, you know, I still play the Open. I play seniors division for masters uh but that's a choice um any cash tournaments i can get out to i play if if i don't have any scheduling conflicts mm -hmm. so i still consider myself competitive for sure mm -hmm. it's kind of funny that you brought up that comment about um still playing competitively and then being inducted to the hall of fame that's kind of a discussion we had here on the podcast because Adam is lucky enough to be inducted into the Canadian Hall of Fame. And that was definitely a topic that was kind of going around that it should somebody be inducted if they're still competitively playing. But 
I don't see it being a, a bad thing either. Well, a similar uh, comments and situation was uh, Matt Schultz being uh, put on the top 100 list. And I know a lot of people here, if they hadn't gone out west much or to nationals, right? Matt Schultz, he's, he's a kid. Why is he on that? You know, because his province thinks he's the top bowler. And that was the criteria. The names the provinces submitted, if they think you're deserving, then you're deserving. The rest of the province should, you know, deal with their own problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to hold back on Adam's induction into the C5 Hall of Fame, given the criteria of the, of the, the Hall of Fame, that it's only the C5 championship, to hold that back till he's a certain age would be kind of silly. Um uh, Let's promote the stars of our game while they're here, because who knows? Adam could be hit by a bus tomorrow, and, and the <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want it to happen. It's it's a possibility, and to to lose that star and to have to recognize his accomplishments posthumously, or when he's not playing, if he was injured and couldn't play anymore. Hmm. Um, you know, that's not right either. So I think this way, if you get the points that you that you require to, to get into their Hall of Fame and you get there when you're, you know, 25, 35, 45, shouldn't make a difference. You're in. Mm-hmm. And anyone Adam Weber shouldn't be in uh really should get out to a bowling alley a little more often <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, my my views kind of changed a little bit since uh since the first um you know knowledge of, of getting that that phone call for the the hall i i still feel that I, i'm near the top of of my career and it, it still it, it felt really weird to get that call and i i i think the biggest issue is i i don't think that had the same impact with me being a very competitive player currently as it would have if basically my, my prime was gone and all of a sudden you get the call, right? Um, uh, a perfect example is Doug McCaw. Like uh, just watching, you know, some of his reactions online, um, when he got the call, it is perfect timing for, for Doug. And, you know, obviously I was thrilled to, to get it. Um now it's going to turn into when I'm 40 anyway. So maybe some people will, uh, will have less complaints about it. Uh, but it would have been really cool to be in, you know, inducted, uh, you know, pre 40. Um, but, uh, now there's a couple criterias, I believe in Ontario that, uh, you have to be a certain age and things like that to get into the hall of fame there too. Is there not Jim? For the Ontario five pin hall of fame, the old five hall of fame, which is the provincial one, uh, you have to be 50. There's been one exception, which was Fraser. He, I believe he was put in when he was 48. Uh, but it used to be when, and when Fraser went in, it was the actual age limit was 60, uh, which would tend to be at the end of most people's competitive careers. Uh, but my local association put me into our central Ontario Hall of Fame uh, in 2005 
uh, two years later, I had my best year of my career, and it's like, well, I'm already in. What did I? <laughs> what about what about these tournaments? How come they don't count? Uh, which is kind of nice because I bowled my perfect game after I went into the Hall of Fame. So yeah. it's like you, I didn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do have a question. I, I know we talked about like the age limit being fifty. Um, obviously, I'm privy to some information, and I think that um, I, as I've always been an advocate, I don't think age matters as long as your criteria matters, right? And like what Adam, I know we had a big talk about this, and I'm glad most people are changing or at least see the other side of it. And, and obviously, we really respect your opinion, Jim, and you kind of give us merit or at least me merit on that situation. Um, Ontario 5, if I do believe, they won't uh, bring somebody forward for the C5 Hall of Fame until they're an 05 Hall of Fame member. So even though you might hit that criteria and you might be a superstar like Adam and you still have to wait to your 50, right? And I, I personally disagree with it. Um, I think if, right, but uh, how do you feel about that? Well, personally, I think the C5 Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. in only looking at the Canadian Open uh, championships, mm-hmm. puts Ontario in a rough spot to begin with, without 05 uh, putting a 50-year age limit on it. I mean, I started playing the Open, we had 24 zones to make it two, maybe three times in a career to the Open. I'll tell you, I I made the, my first Open Nationals in 2002 was in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. And at the Victory Banquet, Albert Shepard from PEI said, see you next year. And I said, I'm from Southern Ontario. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to make my own zone next year, let alone national. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that part of it puts Ontario in a bad spot. But to make it tougher, why? Yeah. I understand that, yes, 05 is a division of C5, so you should be a member of their Hall of Fame before you move on. But let's... Let's honor the the stars we have here while we have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So I, um, yeah, I, that's how I kind of feel with it. I now things that maybe some of you guys don't know. The C five uh, has offered, or obviously the point system helps your resume for the C five Hall of Fame. Um, but if you do feel like somebody like a uh, like our last guest last week, Jennifer Smith, deserves to be in there with her accolades, then you can actually put a resume in um, and see if she can get forward with it as well. So somebody like places like Ontario that might be tough to get in with a huge bunch of accolades that maybe somebody we might not see on a national level all the time, they might have that opportunity now, which I think is fair. Um, I, I, from my understanding, I don't, I think down the road, I think it's very plausible that masters might be involved in it. Um, down the road, which I think is also beneficial to a larger province like Ontario, which I think is only fair with that. Um, so um, I think there obviously has to be some changes or some, um, some it, when you start something, obviously you, you think it's going to be this way and all of a sudden you might have to tweak it. Um, but yeah, so there is options for those on Ontario that might do it, but um, obviously the point system, it's a lot easier to go off of and, and have a better resume off it. So Could you imagine the ruffled feathers if another province was to put a player in that 
literally their own province should be putting forth? I, I actually, honestly, I thought about it. I mean, obviously, Alberta has a lot of great talent. Um, but if somebody deserves to be there, uh, and, and if we are, as a province doesn't have somebody, I think that, um, I mean, I've, I think we can go down the list a lot in Alberta, but if I feel like we don't have somebody that maybe should be in that caliber or somebody's missing out just because of that, I will for sure do that. Now, C5 executives also can nominate somebody ahead of time. So if somebody from, say, Ontario is not getting put forward, then somebody from the executives like, you know what, that guy has a huge merit and he's not 50 yet or not part of it. I want to put him forward and then go to that committee and put it. There, there has to be, there has to be with that. Cause there's always some kind of political stuff or some other things on the agendas. Um, it's not fair to the player because they really have no say in the whole, in the whole factor of it. Right. So. So simple fact that there's the criteria of the point system is, is what should be driving that. Yeah. It, I, I don't even know if it should be necessarily a, a, a vote uh, or be brought forward by a particular province. Like it, this is a C five thing. This isn't an individual province thing, right? Yeah, well, and you guys have all apps for all of it, right? Yeah, so we'll we'll get like uh, we'll get our stats, but we can only nominate one bowler or maybe two. I don't one bowler for sure, one builder, and one coach. And it, it stays if you they don't get nominated or uh, or selected, and they have another year on it. It's a two year cycle, and then they'll. We can renominate them if we feel like that, um, but I, I think it's just to get every province have their say in there. And um, but it, it, at the end of the day, it comes to those those four or five people part of that committee that will overview all the all the stats, all the resumes, and uh, and p- hopefully pick the right one down the road, right? So based off stats, yeah. Um, so I think we we got that. Oh, sorry, oh. here, Jim. Uh, sorry, Gary. I you start talking before you're ready. I know in Ontario, we have players that are open caliber. They have, they played Masters, played all the cash tournaments, but they won't play the Open because there's no money in it. Right. Like their rationale for not playing is, you know, not up for discussion. They don't want to play the tournament, but they could be at that level. Um, Steve Greensides is one. Very rarely did he play the open he could spend a thousand dollars and play in hamilton or he could win 2500 playing the o'connor yaba which ran on the same weekend it's a fairly easy choice you know and he chose to to play yaba mm-hmm. for a long time now he did play the open but uh not as often as he could have um which is disappointing, but we've had players that just say, I don't want to play the open. I don't like the format. They don't like the fill. I think to make it exclusively for one event and you're going to call it a Canadian hall of fame should include everything. Your WCBT, the cash tournaments out here, what's going on in Quebec and uh, Newfoundland those tournaments should be included somehow, uh, whether they have to be prorated on a points basis by entries or payout, although payout wouldn't really do well for our province right now. But uh, it's hard to, hard to play for money in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, it was playing 
as my only income, it was fairly easy every weekend to play for 1500 2500 bucks a weekend. Well, you cash well in three out of four of those weekends, that's a good month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uxbridge was $10,000. First prize, guaranteed. 68% of the entries for that first year were from the province of Quebec. What's wrong with the guys from Ontario? Here's a 10 grand in your hand. All you have to do is win. And it's like, it's Uxbridge. For me, it's an hour away. I'll drive that. <laughs> but there were a lot of, we had very few bowlers from Hamilton, very few from Toronto. It was, uh, it, it was strange. It's hard to get people out in Ontario to play for cash. And yet, they say they don't want to play the open because there's no money in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, at what point do you think people will start looking at some of these cash circuits instead of the open and masters altogether with the money involved? Now, oh, Robert, working on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll put my two bits in while Jim is getting his uh, his stuff working there. I, I think it's plausible. Um, I, I think in Alberta, like I said, we were fortunate with our with our gaming and our and all that, or where we don't have to pay for everything, right? I think that helps us. Um, but soon as we, if we ever lose that funding, and then I think we're going to be having an issue with that, Adam. Absolutely. How's that working for you, Jim? Much better. There we oh, go. Yeah, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize how sexy your voice is. Nice <laughs> low. Wow. Maybe there's a reason I haven't played Dexter. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I think eventually it might. I mean, if if funding ever does get lost, then what's going to be left? It's it's going to be the tours, really. So well, we only we only have the two in Ontario, the the two club tours. Uh, with well, actually now we only have one, the one unless uh, Oshawa deten- depend decides they're going to play both of them again. Yeah, uh, were they not talking about including um, uh, Bayshore? Yeah. Yeah, Mid- Midland, well, Midland. Midland. Midland, yeah, sorry, yeah, Midland, I think, was uh, talking about being yeah. included as well. Well, Bayshore Lane's in Midland. Uh, I know uh, Mike Torgel ran a very good tournament there last year. Unfortunately, uh, I wasn't able to get myself there. Um, but uh, I had promised Mike I would be there this year, and then I can't. <laughs> I'm yeah. stuck at home. Yeah. But uh, I think it's caught on. Even for a summer event, they're getting quality players out uh, who are willing to compete, which is always a good thing. And it's a slightly different group from the club tour, which is even better because now you get a mix. If we can combine it somehow with a point system that whether there's an overall championship and it can become a tour, which is what the club tour was supposed to evolve into but never did mm-hmm. uh, originally it was only two it was two houses it was stellar lanes in Newmarket and uh north end in oshawa or nebs in oshawa 
and uh, Stellar, unfortunately, changed owners and they no longer are involved. But no other proprietors seem to step up. Yeah. It's tough. Well, I just learned something. Uh, what NEB stands for. Thank you. North End Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I have no, no idea. I have no <laughs> idea either. <laughs> well, I'm old. I call it by its old name. I always call it North End. No, I like it. That's good. Yeah. That's good to know. It's been very good to me over the years. Yeah, it's, it's a center I need to get out to at some point here soon. But, well, uh, I I actually played there when it was free fall. Oh. oh. Yeah. When Wooden was that? Lanes, uh, I won my first Masters event there in 2000. Okay. It was still uh, Brunswick uh, A51s, I believe. Wow. Yeah. But I grew up on, on free fall machines, so I'm of that age where I've seen the transition from free fall to string, from wood to plastic, both in pins and lanes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting learning curve to, to figure out what works today. Absolutely. How has your shot changed over the years? Uh, mechanically, not much. Uh, I know a few more tweaks, uh, a slightly different line, uh, but my mechanics are the same. I can vary my speed uh, by changing the length of my approach and my backswing, uh, but that comes from free fall throwing the slower finesse shot, which is what you, you had to learn how to throw, to a longer approach, quicker, uh, a more a deeper slide. And for any of you who've seen me bowl, I know I bowl funny. So <laughs> but I have a fairly a fairly long slide. And that's where I generate my power and I can throw as hard actually I can throw harder than Ian Gavell, who's pretty throws pretty hard in in our area right hmm. so um speaking of your style um we notice it with mitch mitch coming out west so much where did mm. your uh pause come in your in your mechanics where where did that start was that something you had right from the beginning or something you no into it? oh no um before i turned 14 so i guess my first year of seniors uh, in ybc uh I used to stand on the right-hand side of the lane and run at the foul line and throw it fa as fast as I could. When I hit the middle, it was a fairly effective shot, but I couldn't hit the middle all the time. And every coach I had said, slow down. The problem is they never told me how to slow down. So I took a look at my dad, who was a 240, 245 average bowler, and he kind of stops after his first step. And I thought, well, he doesn't throw too fast. And he seems pretty good. All right, I'll try it. So I worked on it through the summer. Uh, at the time, Cooksville Lanes was only a five-minute walk from my home, so I could practice there all summer uh, at kids' rates, which was great. And uh, I've been bowling that way ever since. So the last, oh, my God, 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just realized, did the math. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started when I was 14. I'm 54. So for 40 yeah. years, I bowled one singles event uh, in a Yaba tournament without the pause just to prove I could do it. Finished second. Didn't change much. 
<laughs> no, I just had to tell myself when to start my hands with a three-step approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's simply a timing issue so that I get to the line balanced and in time, my hand releases the ball just at the right spot in my slide so that I get full momentum into the ball. Uh, it's not something I ever teach. Uh, I always see looks on parents' faces when they see that their kid is going to be coached by me and they know how I bowl. It's like, I don't teach it. <laughs> by the way, I did not teach Mitch how to do that. And, and Cody Laycox too. Cody's got it in him too now, right? It's it's funny how like you, you start to see those trends in certain places. Um, you could always tell like the Saskatchewan girls, like you could tell Super if they were from Saskatchewan. Um, and then then a lot of the newfies, like back in the day, um, when we were going through YBC, had something similar too, where they would like take a really fast first step, stop completely, and then run to the line. And then there were, but there was like probably four or five of them, and you could always tell that that's that's where they were from. So it's interesting how um, it, that those trends kind of follow. And and uh, I, I'm sure you didn't teach. I'm sure you didn't teach. Uh, oh, we lost Jim. No. I'm sure he didn't teach Mitch how to do that, but I wonder if like that that influenced him for sure. Yeah, uh, you can see how successful Jim was, so I'm sure that's why uh, people emulate success, right? One hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's well, odd. I, I wanted to ask him how many times he's been cut off <laughs> on the on the bowling lane. <laughs> Just with that pause, I'm sure I've done it. Yeah, I'm sure. I do it to Jim Mitch all the time by accident too. All the time to Mitch by accident. I don't do it by accident to Mitch, though. No. Oh, I apologize every time. Like, shit, man, sorry. I didn't. He's like, I, I get it. <laughs> he, he knows. You, you could be done your shot before Mitch finishes his. Oh, for sure. That pause in there, I could definitely get a shot off in between that pause. <laughs> um, I, I always cut off Mapstone, Brett Mapstone, and I really didn't give a shit. I just, after, <laughs> after the second or third time, I'm like, Brett, I don't really don't care. And he's you like, should. He could kill you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He has the skills. <laughs> yeah. So as we wait for Jim to come back, um, Alberta announced a huge um, thing for bowling. So everybody's allowed to open up starting Friday, I do believe, right? For mm -hmm. Bowling with obviously some restrictions. Um, as proprietors, how do you feel about that? Nervous. <laughs> Stress. <laughs> right? There's a lot, of, you know what? I'll say this right now. Um, we're excited to open and we're going to open up on Monday um, with uh, a little bit less hours. We don't know what's going on. Right. So, or how things are going to be obviously with less lanes is going to be a lot different. Um, we're basically ready. we got all the social distancing stuff done, all the sanitizers, the, you know, the sneeze guards, all that kind of stuff going on. Um, okay. And then, uh, um, Anyways, but we're all ready. <laughs> Sorry, I got a message. What we're, happened to you? <laughs> Jim, Jim sent me a message. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, I think it's we're ready for it. I'm just really nervous um, on uh, just how people are. Some, you know, some people are just, if you don't feel comfortable, uh, we always say just stay home and, and just take it easy. Um, obviously we have our masks and everything ready. Um, it just, it's just going to be a different thing. Like I've worked in a bowling alley for 20 years plus, right. You know, or whatever it is. And, um, 
it's gonna be a little bit different, <laughs> a little bit different day, but it'd be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just kind of answering one of the questions that came in while you were talking about that. Um, Nathan Cooper asking about Red Deer WCBT. It never was off. It was just postponed. And um, obviously, with Phase Two opening up bowling centers, um, we, as the WCBT, me being a part of it, I don't foresee that um, not happening. So the the only the only issue that we're going to have still at this point is we are still required to maintain um, six feet social distancing between groups. Um, so and 50 people total. So um, I don't know what the logistics are going to be. Like you sign up with your group of people maybe, and then, you know, you have to stay on your own lane. If it's still the same case at the start of August, only play on one lane. I don't know. I I don't, I don't know what the logistics are going to be. I really think the way the trend is going, like this is a week earlier than they were thinking probably phase three is probably going to end up becoming before August. For yeah. sure. We, we just don't know whether that's still going to be wide open or not. Yeah. It, um, not saying Canada follows the state's trend, but you can see in the United States, the bowling centers are almost wide open. There's a few restrictions, but I literally watched the tournament in St. Louis a couple weeks ago and there were slapping hands. There was no social distancing, not saying we're going to ever do that, but I'm just saying, the trend is showing and we got mm -hmm. a few months, right? For sure. Now, I'm sure there's a few other uh, proprietors across the country who might be watching this as well. Um, what uh, measures did you guys have to go through to kind of meet those parameters? You know, uh, the parameters were not nearly as excessive as I expected, but again, it's, it's all based on social distancing. So, um, They've increased like your cohort families or whatever to 15 people. So you can hang out with those people, however you want. Um, that being said, they're allowed to be within six feet, but you can't be. So um, if you're staff and you're going to be within six feet of somebody, if you don't have the barriers in front of you, you must wear masks, which is fine and dandy. We have hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, we have to use, well, for us, we're using every other lane because 50% capacity, well, not 50%, maximum 50 people in the bowling alley. Um, which I mean, if we use you, you know, every other lane, max out of six people in the lane, that's 48 people for us. Um, so that fits nicely. Um, but yeah, every other lane so that we can still maintain the six feet. Um, we have hand sanitizer put down at every, every lane is like screwed into where the coat racks are. So it's there accessible for everyone. Um, removed a whole bunch of tables. Uh, we're going to, you know, ha have to like, limit the urinals like one one <laughs> urinal can't be used because you know you can't be rubbing shoulders while taking your piss so like, it's uh it's good it's gonna be a really weird world pretty uh, tight quarters in there anyways yeah yeah that's why you always use the family bathroom in the back <laughs> sorry <laughs> I, I yeah i think it's gonna be weird for a while i but i think it'd be good um i got an email saying no tournaments so we are uh, we're going to work on the logistics of that. I think we can still run one. Well, uh, it said it said it said no turn. Oh, can can we run a tournament with more than fifty people? If you can, you know, ensure the six feet uh, six feet thing. No, the answer is no. You still you have to have less than fifty people in the building. Yeah, so you you could probably do shifts. shifts yeah. 
and then but you still probably still have to use every other lane. And again, I think you would still have to sign up with your cohort family or whatever that looks like. Um yeah. Are you guys gonna have to do the was it contact tracing and all that stuff as well? There was nowhere in there saying it was required. Because okay. yeah. our our uh, our ball might be starting on Tuesday, and we have to fill out forms saying if we've traveled anywhere, such and such, um, if we've been in contact with anybody we know has been traveling. And yeah, that has, that has to be filled out every week, from to my understanding. For us, I don't believe we have to. I'm pretty sure that we just had to post signs saying, "Hey, if you've been out of country." You can't be here. If you've been around someone who's been out of the country, you can't be here. Plus, even with our touch screens, like we have a there's there's already a safety warning that comes up saying we're not liable for this, we're not liable for that. Um, if you, you don't want to cross the foul line, you know, if there's a spill, come get it, whatever. Um, we're gonna add in a section to that. I agree, like with with the COVID stuff as well. Um, th- there's only so much that we can control. Right, but we'll do whatever we can to to make the things that we can control safe, and go from there. Um, for for some of our sure bowl listeners like Palmer, and I see Adams on there. You, if you guys want to come in on Monday, give us a shout. We can we can get you a book in a lane. I might as well throw a plug in for sure bowl. So uh, yeah, um, yeah. Pro- re- reservations definitely really really recommended. Um, if we do have space and you show up, we'll. Uh, we'll, we'll put you in for sure, but um, we're going to be running at eight lanes for the foreseeable future. So um, definitely reservations for sure. Um, now would be a good time to uh, look at gift cards and all that stuff now that they can physically be used too. Um, I know we're, uh, we're going to purchase one for uh, Braxton's teacher and uh, just kind of support uh, not only your center, but uh, the other centers in, in our region and, Hopefully, others do the same around uh, around Canada. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll figure out we'll figure out the uh, the tournament. Maybe as much as lame as it sounds, maybe just stay on the same set, <laughs> and and then, and it might be the way it be. But people will be in out. They can they can you know yell at each other six feet apart. Uh, okay, Palmer, I'll mark you down, and uh, we'll, we'll do all that for you. <laughs> shot, shot wheel. There is a j- adjustment on the shot wheel. We'll spin it for you. Yeah, we um, put it behind the glass so it can so still be there. We'll we'll spin <laughs> it for you. Um, and I we are uh, promised you it won't be rigged, so don't worry about it. <laughs> don't promise what you can't uh, not <laughs> control. <laughs> Yeah, that that might be that might be an option too. Is use a set of lanes, and then leave the set in between. So maybe you have like you know six people on a set, especially with Red Deer having you know twenty lanes. If they can use, well, I guess it'd be only five sets. That'd be thirty people. Well, if you do three on three, that's thirty six a shift. You could do that and leave a, a gap in between each ones, and then move move two lanes at a time, sort of thing. Right. That. So- is, is that a guideline regulation that was handed to you guys from any body that you have to leave a lane in between, or is that just what you're doing for six you, feet? You have you're required to have six feet in between. So that that's that's basically it. There's a, it was it was a recommended by uh, Bolo Alberta to have just use every other lane, um, but I, I just don't know how you 
maintain six feet separation if you don't. It's the same thing with ball, right? They're closing the dugout, so you have to stand outside. So you have to be socially aware and social distance yourself. So why couldn't you do that on a bowling lane? Like if you're bowling with another, let's say two people in one lane, two people in the lane next, you just stand six feet apart from each other. You don't go and bowl on the lane at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I will I will tell you a story, and this this could have hooped bowling, but uh, we you could sign up and go on with uh, Henshaw, and you could talk to, if you were phase two or phase three. If you wanted to have some information on your sport before this came up, I think it was last Thursday or whatnot. Um, and so Grady went on, our uh, executive director of Bull Alberta, which makes total sense. Grady can speak well for us. And a couple other proprietors wanted to get on just in case. Um, so it was first come, first serve. So they went through, it was an hour. Some people talked about the dance, some people from other, other sports like Taekwondo. And the worst proprietor we had on there we could possibly had, I won't say the name, <clears throat> Leduc. Um, she went on there and she absolutely said, we can't social distance. We can't do any of this stuff. I just need you to open up the doors. I got to finish my leagues. And we sat back there like this is like, what are you doing? Like in, in Richard LaProle is very mild mannered. He was very upset about this. Yeah. Right. Um, it's her livelihood. Right. And you, it, it, she could have ruined it for all of us, you know, and, uh, Thankfully, it's uh, um, thankfully it's uh, going to be okay, right? So, so yeah, I, I I see what you're saying, Carrie. It's just it's going to be a circus trying to move people in and out and not be within six feet, and then even even lane courtesy, like you know, you're bowling up on lane one while I'm standing behind lane two, right? That's yeah, uh, get six feet away from me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, do we take turns? Like, red light, green light. You know, green light. Everybody on the all lanes goes up. Red light. Everybody, everybody on the even lanes goes up. Like, uh, I don't. I don't know. I can't wait to mess up traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but imagine how slow those shifts are going to be if we do it like that too. Like I said, we we have uh, a few or a couple months before that becomes a big headache. I think we'll see. Uh, laxing of that by then hopefully yeah fingers crossed i'm selfishly i'm just hoping that all of this stuff kind of goes away before uh before september because i'd I'd really love to see us be able to run leagues normally yeah well and even before that with uh even if for some reason we couldn't get a, a full wcbt event in red deer to at least kind of have a conclusion to the season with the uh, tour championship at the end of August and then kind of start a new, would, would be nice. Yeah. Tour, tour championships. I don't think are any in any question at all at this point. Um, we can maintain in the, stand, in the stands are going to be six feet apart. All your audience. No, I are told you, you cardboard cutouts. I got this in, covered in between each spectator. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, there may not be like as many fans as we would hope for, but you know, at, at, at six feet apart, we can still have some fans in there for sure. Um, but uh, at least running that tournament, social distancing shouldn't be an issue, especially doing the you know match play format where people go up and do two sh- two frames at a time, and then you go away. Like that's yeah, that's easy. Yeah. We, we won't know till 
till we get closer what phase three all entails and what the social distancing orders will be and all that stuff so uh, to answer Jennifer Haas's question, um, I can't say for sure if we actually did present, plan. I, th- I believe they did present a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, um, Alberta pretty much just opened the doors to everything. Like there are very few things that they didn't open the doors to in stage two because our numbers have been good. Um, yeah. Um, so the only thing that I think is left to open up are like major events, um, yeah, I mean, they've even, like, removed the capacity limits at, at restaurants and stuff. Um, you still have to maintain six feet, but there's no capacity left um, on restaurants. So they, they pretty much opened everything except for, like, you know, um, organized, like, hockey where you're going to have, like, 30,000 people at the NHL games or, or concerts and stuff like that. But otherwise, everything, they just, they just opened her up. Is it just me or is everybody kind of caught off guard by that yeah. announcement? Well, we we had a feeling it could happen. We had a feeling it could happen, um, but in in all fairness, uh, we were all caught off guard. It's it's tough because moving it up a week is one thing. That's that's fine if you're in stage two and you're expecting to be in stage two. Um, but for us, who are we've been told all along that we're stage three, stage three, stage three. And then it'd be like, yeah, by the way, Friday you can open up. Thankfully, we've been in there and we've been working and all we had to do is just we're waiting for the decals from Bolt Canada and we're ready to go. Like, um, yeah, it, it's it just you're right, Adam. It was tough. Like, it's it was kind of a little bit off guard. Um, I mean, it's, it's a great off guard. Absolutely. But I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know Robert uh, Gallagher is a little bit off the ball. He thought it was July. So, I mean. But that's Robert. I mean, we're not worried about Robert. <laughs> but, he, but, it, but initially, that's kind of what you guys were being told. So well, I, I understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, I feel I feel bad for um, Lloyd Minster um, because they're actually on the Alberta side, uh, but they don't get to reopen with Alberta. They get to uh, their mayor is sticking with everything with Saskatchewan. So. They're struggling. They need they need to open, and they're uh, they're having a hard time with it, and they're trying to fight it, but they're they're not allowed to open at all. So um, that's that's kind of shitty. But I'm excited for. Well, I'm 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 happy we're not opening Friday. I'm glad that we have the opportunity to open Friday. Um, but we're gonna open Monday so that we have some opportunity to actually <laughs> ease into it, and not get bombarded, and hope for the best, and and figure things out a little bit slowly. Welcome back, Jim. Oh, maybe, well, maybe not. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, we're having technical difficulties again. And everybody talking about my mic, I know it's low. Um, nothing <laughs> I can do about it. So uh, we'll just let these guys keep rambling on until we can j- get Jimmy back. <laughs> well, in the meantime, is there any questions from the audience for any of us? Don't don't ask me. I'm kind of in a bad state right now. I guess so. <laughs> so <laughs> just because you're outing people, <laughs> hey, no reason. It doesn't reflect <laughs> anybody but myself. I'm like, <laughs> Mr. E five and A five president. Okay, well now you're making it worse. All right, thank you're you. welcome. It's kind of kind of what I do. It's okay. I already I already got the text from my mother. I'm in trouble. <laughs> we'll talk to her tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, hey, Tex, those cardboard and cardboard cutout ideas. I, I love the idea. 
Is that something that you guys have already looked at pricing on? Uh, no, but uh, well, we we did a little while ago for you, but because of the size of your head, they were going to charge us <laughs> twice as much. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh so. yeah, I'm just hoping if a few people uh, just don't make it, that uh, maybe I'll move up and be playing rather than in the stands. But that that might be a great uh, great little opportunity for people outside of. Uh, of the event to to maybe throw some money at that either the tour or or whatnot to to, to sponsor. Yeah, I, I mean, Costa. I think it was like, I think it was like a hundred bucks or something like that. It, it, it was really re- reasonable, and it was within like a week. Um, mannequins. Uh, well, yeah. we could do mannequins. Yeah, you're right. We could do mannequins <laughs> and then just print out somebody's face and put it on it. That'd It'll be look creepy. Korea, super creepy. But I mean, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> hey, South South Korea baseball is doing everything right now. So yeah, I you know, it. I love it. So I, I, I guess we can ask everybody here, since we have the tour final, and we probably can't have anybody in in the crowd. Should we just have uh, plushies like they did in the Korean baseball league? <laughs> or are they bring their plushies? <laughs> I think we got you back, Jim. Oh, my technical <laughs> team worked hard. <laughs> so I don't have the problem with my flip phone. It just works. <laughs> <laughs> so um, since we got Jim back here, Adam, you might as well ask him the special guest questions because we don't know how long uh, the thunderstorm situation <laughs> and, uh, phone charging is going to happen here. No, sounds good. Uh, all right, Jim. Uh, who was your bowling idol or mentor growing up? Wow. Uh, well, I come from a bowling family, so, and I'm the youngest. So when I turned six and was able to go into YBC, because at the time you had to be six, uh, I wasn't a kid that you had to drag to the car. I was waiting there saying, let's go. Uh, So my family have always been supportive, and my dad taught me the basics of the game, but uh, I had very good coaches in YBC. But competitively, I learned to listen and ask questions at a very young age. Uh, I started a men's league when I was 15, no, 14, and... um, in that league were probably some of the best bowlers in our area. Uh, Fraser happened to be one of them. And just sitting and talking and asking questions and learning from what they were doing. So I never really had a mentor, but everyone that I played with or against has taught me something. Mm-hmm. Is there any one person that, that really stood out to, to, to be a big drive of your game? Well, our area has been fairly strong, uh, so I had people who I wish to emulate. Brian Kay was a national champion back in the 70s uh, after Fraser was. Fraser was an idol of mine growing up. uh, And to actually have played against him and to uh, worked with him over the years was uh, a tremendous honor for me. Uh, As a matter of fact, Fraser sponsored me into the tournament that ended up being my 10th win for Masters. 
and without him, I wouldn't have played it because I wasn't playing tournament division. Uh, we won the Open that year, and Easter Monday, he calls and says, I see you're not signed up for the Dorothy Walker next weekend. I said, no, Fraser, you know, it's it's an awful lot of money, and I really don't want to spend it. And he says, well, I'd like to sponsor you. Okay, uh, what cut? He said, 50-50. Okay, so it was $3,600, and we split it down the middle, and... Um, he didn't realize I was sitting at nine wins and Fraser has had 10 wins. Um, so when I won and they announced that winning his 10th masters event, Fraser was the first to shake my hand and the word he said, welcome to the club. And I mean, that was worth more than the prize money or Mm -hmm. medal that I had ever won, you know, just to be, considered by that man as an equal uh so fraser was always an idol of mine and although he had more success in singles than i have uh i've never really been a singles player i normally play on a team the one was uh, i played against adam in uh 2009 in saskatoon correct and he made the adjustment faster than i did I just started getting kickbacks. <laughs> Literally, I, I, I think in, in in four matches, I think I had like nine or ten chop-off strikes. Like, it, it was getting ridiculous. <laughs> is, is there a particular event that you would classify as your favorite? Anything at a national level. Uh, you know, the, the honor of of representing my province and those people that have competed against me to get there to me is amazing. Uh, I love the masters, but I also love playing the open and the cash tournaments. Uh, I really enjoy throwing the ball. (laughs) I physically enjoy it. And it's the reason I play. So I don't have a favorite event because I love them all. Some houses are better for, uh, or react better to me, but uh, that doesn't make, make them more favorite than the other. For instance, Uxbridge seemed to love the shot I threw. Uh, I played there. They had the Uxbridge Challenge there three years, and I was top qualifier every year. Just my shot worked. Didn't make it a favorite tournament of mine. It just, but you know, it paid well. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it kind of, makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of funny you talk about um, Uxbridge because I know a few of the guys from out west here went out there to play it. Um, Brad Wilton, Gino, um, Kevin, Kevin Ch- uh, Chisholm. Yeah, Kevin Chisholm went out there. Um, so it, it, it seems so weird to me that Ontario didn't get the big draw um, of all their big players when we were when players from out west here were going out. Well, ten grand is a big draw for for us for sure. And that was the surprising part. And as I said earlier, you know, uh, Quebec had 68% of the entries. I ended up playing Luke Duguay in the finals. And uh, around the fourth or fifth frame, I turned to Jeff Cannon, who was the proprietor, and I said, when did you move Uxbridge to Quebec? Because I felt like I was the out-of-towner. There were three guys cheering for me and 60 people cheering for Luke. (laughs) 
but you know, uh, and you know, I love Luke to death because he's a phenomenal competitor and a terrific guy. Uh, both him and Bridget, you know, I wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, he's someone I'd like to see be able to get back to where he was. Absolutely, he's taking steps in the right yeah, direction. It's nice seeing him throwing balls and stuff. It's uh, it was awesome. It was really good seeing him last year. It's uh, funny. Last year we we spoke. Um, Luke and I always spoke, but I played him in at the Sherwood Challenge in 04 in the semifinals and knocked him out of that tournament. And then I played him in Uxbridge. And he tells a story that uh, when he went back from Uxbridge and went to his first league night, they said, how'd you do? And he said, second. And apparently whoever asked the question went, Jim? And he went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nice. It's nice to have that kind of rivalry. Absolutely. Is uh, is there a toughest match that you can think of? There's a few. Uh, there's memorable matches. Uh, 2001 Saskatoon Masters Nationals, which was my first. Alain Lafreniere had three pins on me going home. I have choice in ten. I bang out, he bangs out, I lose 360 to 363. Wow. But we beat Quebec 7-1. Uh, so that was memorable because he mentioned it the next time I was at Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, one that, that you'll know the player, uh, short red-headed fellow from Hamilton. Um, we both start on doubles. He hangs a, I hang a corner in three, and he throws the third one. He runs the shot out six lanes across, <laughs> which, I mean, I was focused before, but I was super focused after that and threw the next three at him. So. Any names? Well, uh, I think I narrowed it down. <laughs> Does he do a cider review? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Shorter. Shorter. Hmm. I don't know. The, the red hair's got me. Yeah. Mitch is a redhead. <laughs> oh, okay. No. Really? I mean, his, his attitude is, but I didn't think he was actually redhead. <laughs> was when he was younger. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, he's just losing his hair anyways. It won't matter for long. That was certainly memorable. The six-lane run-out makes sense, though. <laughs> well, I couldn't figure out. I buried the shot and hung a corner, and he got the strike. And he really? <laughs> Weird. I've never idea. seen Mitch do that. <laughs> I've, met, I've seen I've seen Mitch walk out a three pin six lanes too. Though <laughs> <laughs> we, we have that on camera. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's in your arsenal, Jim? Uh, balls, shoes. Uh, shoes are Lynn's Classic Pros. So a single slider, hard heel, leather bowling shoe. 
Uh, it's what I've grown up in. It's what I've always used. And I found some extraordinarily comfortable socks, which allow me to stand in them all day and my feet don't hurt. As for balls, uh, now I carry usually carry two or three sets. I have a set of the original soft rolls, the first generation, so the all black, super soft. Little cow balls. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you guys had uh, bowling sales of Canada out in the West. You did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some years, yeah. The old green, white, and black house balls. Mm-hmm. I have a set of those. Those are my go-tos, the first balls I ever threw. Uh, and I have a mixed pair, which is a Cyclone Urethane and a Scorpion Pro Rubber. Uh, all balls are 5-inch, 3 pounds, 8 ounce. And it just depends on which ball I pull out of the bag first. I find its mate, and that's the one I throw. I threw the perfect game with the... Uh, the bears, the the old greenhouse balls. <laughs> yeah. did, 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 did they ever wear down on you, Jim? Because I know my no. no, no, not at all. Hmm. No. And I bought them in the early nineties, so they've been from coast to coast. They've I've never left that pet, that set at home. Hmm. So that that is is my go to because if I have to, I can throw them in the parking lot. <laughs> Lenham <to> Gino. <laughs> well, what what do you have for national medals, Jim? Uh, for the Masters, I have two on the tournament men's team as a player, one as a coach, two seniors gold medals, uh, an assortment of bronze and silver so 10 appearances i have nine medals uh for the open i have uh i have 2004 gold medal for the men's team 2012 mixed team gold um back-to-back silver is the last well 17 and 18 although adam was part of that Adam and Tim were part of that silver medal. Thank you very much. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but Jim, that was probably one of the best matches I've ever been part of the first the first game in the gold medals. It was back and forth and it was in, within like 20 pins, I think. It was just crazy from the start. So it's it's the way a finals is supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, win or lose, you can't hang your head. You you threw you threw the shots and you put it all out on the lane. Yeah. And you guys, you guys beat us. Yeah. There's got to be a winner, got to be a loser. That year it was you. Yeah. The problem was the next year it was BC. <laughs> <laughs> we were silver again. Yeah. Don't worry. Tim's always a loser. It <clears throat> <laughs> uh, was a direct shot. So, with, with all those being said, what, what's left on your bucket list, Jim? Wow. I wouldn't mind a shot at singles. I've never taken it seriously for the Open. Uh, I always looked at singles as 10 games of practice for teams. Uh, Most of my cash tournaments were singles wins. And I've always felt that a team is harder to win on. Because unless you're a complete jerk, 
you cannot step on a lane on a team and not feel the weight of six other guys on your shoulders depending on you to throw that shot. And that's a pressure that is so different from just you being up there for yourself. Yeah. Uh, when to it's just you, you can only disappoint yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I've always considered myself a team player. I wouldn't mind a shot at singles, but just any more times at nationals would be fun for me. I'm not sure you'd answer. Is uh, uh, obviously you've been around the the, the sport forever. Um, what what's next in in our sport? What what can be improved? Uh, whether it's you know the WCBT, the Five Pin Universe, Ontario, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think what you're doing is good, but it hasn't caught on nationally as of yet. And I think it can build. It's a great starting position. We really need national exposure. The CBCs and the TSNs. uh, We need to expose new people to the game. And that's the problem we don't have. New Canadians, people that have never bowled before, when they think of bowling, they think of 10-pin. And we're kind of left in the in the shadows. We need to pull ourselves out of that, but it's got to be a national motion. I was on TSN twice, and I remember a few... I think I was on 97 and 99, and it was... 2000 or 2001 and I was at coaching a kids tournament and a parent came up to me and said uh, can my son have your autograph he saw you two years ago on the TS and yeah. sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh, so it was well received from bowlers uh, if you look at the ratings of the TSN and the CBC they were huge uh, the only thing that beat them were the Olympics which only came around for every four years uh, we've lost that dynamic and the ability to say this is what our game can offer you know these are the shooters that are out there across the country east to west north north to south is you know, the NWT, they, those guys can play. Yep. You know. mm-hmm. But I think we need a national change. And until we have a, an organization that represents both the proprietors and the bowlers to represent five-pin bowling to the government of Canada and to the people... I don't think we're going to get that resurgence. It'll be regional. What you're doing will help the West, but you're not going to get guys from Newfoundland coming. Uh, not in great numbers. Mm-hmm. Simply the, the cost of travel in the country is, yep. is prohibitive. I know I went to uh, Saskatoon because I won my first master's event. So they gave me a $2,000 check, and somebody says, do you want to go to Saskatoon next month? <laughs> well, how much is it going to cost me? Well, flight and hotel and entry fees, 1200 bucks. 
I get puts eight hundred in the bank. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> I did very well, uh, and the money I won that first year kept me going for the next number of years. You know, but uh, it's it's hard for someone coming out of high school to put that kind of investment in. And yeah, they're going to get great experience, but it's costly. Yeah, but in Ontario, we had the Young Adult Bowlers Association, which was run by the proprietors. And originally, it was uh, age-limited 19 to 30. A handicap event cost you $25, and a scratch event cost you 50 Well, 50 bucks to play against some of the top players, younger players in Ontario at the time, was a good way to earn that experience. And we had six events. I mean, I played them all. Eventually, they put it in grandfather clause. So as long as you were in, you could stay in, which is how I stayed in. <laughs> but uh, the top masters who were younger played it. The guys who played the Open played Yaba. It was a good testing ground for the younger players. And, and I, I think the young guys coming out today miss that. They've only got a few opportunities a year to play against competitive bowlers in order to hone those skills that you need. And without something a little cheaper and a little easier to get to, it's going to be tough to help those players develop. But I like what you're doing out there. Uh, I would hope it would grow and spread. I wish people in Ontario would learn to play for money again, but it's tough. Yeah. Any chance of seeing Jim Head come to one of the WCBT events? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually on the spot. Uh, it would depend on my schedule. Uh, I am the tournament director for Master Bowlers of Ontario, so it would really depend on whether or not that weekend conflicts. So we have 35 events. I play seniors, which is four events. So 31 other events I'm working. Oh, <laughs> no. So it, uh, yeah, it, it makes for a bit of a long season and I'm very glad Dexter has taken over the rule book so he can get all the phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I take it over. Carrie took it over. Yeah. I had it. Carrie <laughs> took it over. <laughs> Sorry, guys, my mic doesn't work. So. <laughs> well, we definitely appreciate your your input there, Jim. That's 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 great. Thank you. Is um, is there anybody that you hadn't had a chance to play against that that you would uh, past or present to to, to challenge in a, in a match? Well, other than Dexter, uh, who I haven't played against. Ah. <laughs> uh, I've been really fortunate to play against a lot of the top guys. I played Bruce, uh, Lynn, Mark Jackson, Gino, uh, Doug Mosdell, Joe Cranabetter, Doug McCaw. You know, the, the list goes on and on from province to province. Um, I, I, I saw Fraser when he was at his best. I didn't play him until later. But the one I would love, and not necessarily to bowl against, but to have a conversation with would be Tommy Ryan. Mm -hmm. yeah. Find out 
you know, from his perspective, how the game is doing from what he intended it to be to what it is now. Uh, you know, if he had thought of plastic lanes and plastic pins, would he have done it? You know, or strings on the pins? Because uh, it took him a while to get the rubber bands on, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, Lynn mentioned on an earlier podcast that uh, whoever of you are national champions from last year are the only ones in history going to hold it. He's wrong. They <laughs> won. There was no nationals because of the counterpin dispute. Oh. Wow. So those people held their titles for four years. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's. Guess I'm starting a new pandemic for the next yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't worry, wave two will hit about this time next year. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Anything for a title, Dex. Well, that's, that's right. Hey, hey, you are learning. <laughs> uh, now, th- this one seems to, to catch some people off guard, Jim, but. Uh, is there an obscure personal achievement or a stat that many may not know about you? Well, oh, we were doing so good there. Yeah. <laughs> I think we lost Jim again. Um, this may be a thunderstorm issue because I know they are charging the phone. So, uh, Huh. Oh darn! <laughs> uh, I think I think he probably did have an obscure one that he wanted to talk about. He looked like he was facial into expression. It. Yeah, it looked, it looked <laughs> like he had something something cooked up. <laughs> All right. Well, if nothing else, uh, hey Dex, rulebook corner. Uh, here you come back. Oh, back. Oh, there we go. We're back. There we go. <laughs> the storm just in. <laughs> Uh, can you ask the question again? Oh, because it's this, uh, I can't see it in my left eye. Oh. So if I've beaten you, you've been beaten by a one-eyed old man. And <laughs> if you've beaten me, you're picking on the disease. Was that oh, something no. you've had your entire life, or is that something that happened? Or? It was a paintball accident when I was 22, so 34 years ago. Crazy. And, is, and how hard was it to learn to adjust to that? Well, uh, it, I don't have depth perception. The nice thing about 5-pin is nothing moves. Your spot yeah. is always in the same spot. So once I learned that if I'm looking at the center arrow and that's where I want to hit, I actually have to aim for an arrow to the or a board to the right of it to hit it. Uh, I took a summer. So the that summer that I was 22, I worked as soon as I could get back on the lanes uh, physically. And I worked all summer and started in. And it was funny because it was after that that my average took the big jump. <laughs> so 22 was uh, 1988. So 91, I guess, was my first open experience provincially. And that was the first year I averaged over 260. So it was after I lost the eye. Huh. 
That's crazy. incredible. How hard was that to recover, like, mentally? Because I imagine, like, something like that happening has got to be catastrophic initially. It was. I, you know, uh, I would stumble a lot stepping up onto lanes, uh, not be able to tell where the ball return was. It took some getting used to moving in a crowd. And if you've been in a playing area in the open, it's crowded. Uh so, yeah, I walked into a lot of walls and doors and things thinking, well, I'm clear. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, you, you learn to adjust. Within, I would say, a year tops to, luckily, I hadn't started driving. So <laughs> I, I got to learn what the road looked like with only one eye. I didn't have to try to adjust there. Um, I didn't get my license till I was older because everybody else drove. So, um, but it was, it, the, the eyesight in, in the, the right eye is, is still good, as long as I have my glasses or my contacts. And since nobody notices unless I tell them, I don't really worry about it. Mentally, it's fine for me. I know things look different for me than it does for everybody else. But it's the same as... Uh, I can't hear in my left ear. Now, that's a birth defect. But I didn't know until I was in grade five because I thought everybody was like that. Yeah. You know, how often do you say, can you hear to both ears? <laughs> you know? Uh, so they did testing and turns out something inside didn't form. And so the left side doesn't work. So which led to do people thinking I was a bit of a snob because they'd come up and talk to me on my left and I didn't know they were there or couldn't hear them. So... And it wasn't. It was. I was. I was just looking straight ahead and not knowing you were there. And and which eye got hit? What's that? Which eye did you lose the eyesight? Left one. So it's the left side. You see, your right side's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I ever injure myself, it's always on the left. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> well, well, good for you for being able to overcome that. That's uh. Uh, that that's a hard feat mentally, emotionally, physically. So kudos and to have like the storied career you had after is incredible. So congratulations. Well, it was, it, it was another one of those things. I've always been a, I'll prove you wrong person. So if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to prove you wrong. So if someone were to say to me, well, you can't be a top bowler because you can't see it of both eyes. Oh, really? Watch me. Yeah. So I'm going to put the work in. I've never believed I was particularly talented, but I've always worked really hard at my game. And I think that is, is a skill set that our younger players haven't picked up on a lot. They wait a little bit longer until they do the work on the game. Whereas right through YBC, I was taught this is the way you get better. And I had to shoot an hour at corner pins every week. So when I hang a corner, I'm fine with it. I'll shoot one pin all day and average 280. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say that because now I'm starting to put the work in near the end of my career for the exact same reasons to, to, to stay sharp. So. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm not a big guy. I'm, Five nine, one hundred and fifty pounds. So 
I'm not going to be physically intimidating or impressive on the lanes. But let's play a match. And I guarantee you, you're going to get the best out of me all the time. Because uh, that's the way I play. I've, I've got to try and throw the best ball I can throw. It's the only way I know how. Yeah. Uh, it's the way I've trained myself to be, and it's the way I coach. You know, throw your shot. You qualified. The five guys I had uh, in Quebec, I couldn't have asked for a better team. Uh, it was Bernie McMillan, uh, Bobby Torval, Robert McDougall, DJ Villeneuve, and David Biscardi. Now, four of the five of us, four of the six of us, five of the six of us, pardon me, have played together in the open or in leagues, Bernie being the one exception because he's from London. The rest of us are all from my home area. They all trusted me, and my job was simple. It was like, throw your shot. Throw the shot that got you here. Remember what that is? It'll work here. And it did. You know, that, that's always been my philosophy. I was taught very early, you got to dance with the one that brought you on. So if, if that shot has got, got you this far, keep throwing it. There's no need, no need making adjustment if it's working. So, so Jim, I do have a question for you, and I, we sort of touched base on it through Messenger before we started, but um, what was your decision to bowl as uh, make bowling as a career? I mean, I know you didn't have a job. You decided not to work anymore and make bowling a career. What was your decision on that? Well, I didn't decide not to work. Okay. Uh, I was, I was restructured. <laughs> and uh, that year uh, was 04, I believe. I think I brought home from bowling 35,000 gross. Because huh. uh, there was a Sherwood challenge. There were two Masters events. Uh, I finished second in Cornwall that year, I think. But it paid very well. Plus, there was Yabo, which you, you know, if you do well, you can make a, you know, a grand 1500 a weekend. And I thought, I'm going to give it a try. The unfortunate problem is that uh, while the tournaments were around and the cash was available there for competition, the money became my focus. And I stopped enjoying the game. Uh, and it took me a while when I stepped away from uh, a little bit of competitive play because I still always played the Open. But when I stepped out of uh, Tournament Division Masters and stopped playing most of the cash tournaments, um, I got back to the enjoyment of the game. And the cash became secondary again. And I played much better. And I feel much more fulfilled on the lanes. Uh, trust me, I don't want to coach ever again. I want to be the guy throwing the ball. The reason I don't have my level two, <laughs> no option. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was fortunate. The the year last year, we only sent uh, one scratch man for uh, seniors in masters. I played the seniors to it. So we qualify a scratch man, a scratch woman, a POA man, and a POA woman, and then the wild card rotates through those four spots. Well, last year was only one scratch man and Terry Little beaten. 
It happens. Terry Little's a good player. Great player. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so there's no shame in that. But uh, the five guys that made it from Turner Division asked if I would put my name in. So I said, okay. And it turned out pretty well. Very. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Do you, do you have any questions for us, Jim? Any topics for us? I do. I have a question for Carrie. <laughs> well, since I've been listening to previous podcasts, he seems to be the multi-shift specialist. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering why you would do that to yourself. It <laughs> is. Uh, if you're giving yourself an opportunity to play more than once, are you as mentally focused on that first shift? Because my attitude was always throw the ball now. And it never made sense to me why someone would play three, four shifts to make a cut when if they played and if they made it on one, well, why didn't you throw that the first shift? So I, uh, hopefully everybody can hear me. Hopefully my mic's not too low. Um, that's a great question, Jim. So a lot of my, um, the last few years, I've been dealing with the WCBT, running a lot of the video production stuff. So the way I look at it, my mind hasn't been fully on bowling as such my own game. So when I play that first shift, because there's a lot less people there and I can hopefully get that video production um, started so everybody can be watching from home and stuff like that. I, I feel like I'm 100% there, but um, over the last couple of years, my game hasn't been nearly as strong as it was before, um, ever since 2017. So I'm, I'm in a lucky enough position that I been fiscally responsible that I, I have the money to in order to do that. And uh, I've been lucky enough to make it on one shift or two shifts or three shifts. So I'm never worried about playing multi-shifts. I know there's a lot of people that are. It doesn't bother me so much. But it doesn't feel good when you three-shift it and you miss the cut. I'll tell you that. But um, I am definitely looking forward to the new season. And I've moved some of the responsibility off myself and hopefully I can get back into the game the way I want to. But uh, you are correct. I am the multi-shift person for the last few years. That is for sure. Okay. So you use the first shift as practice, roughly. Roughly, yeah. Unless it's good. Well, unless, well naturally, unless, it, unless you come out shooting the lights out. Now, the question is, what about other players? Because it's not just you. you there are obviously other players that are playing multi-shifts. Obviously, they're not all involved in the production of your filming. So, in general, is it beneficial to play more than one shift? Or Because I played the KG uh, for, for seven or eight years, I guess, and I never played more than one shift. I would come out and I would say, I'm going to bowl the last available shift. And all but one year, I made the cut. Because it's like, throw the ball now. This is the time to do it. You're a top player. Top players are supposed to be able to throw the ball when they have to. 
and that works for me, but is there another mindset out there that I'm not thinking about? So mathematically, Jim, uh, mathematically, um, the numbers of people that make the final cut on the final shift are, it's becoming astronomically low. Like, five or six people from the final shift when you could have 80 people playing um, those odds get tougher for sure. So for me personally, I, I try to play an earlier shift uh, play and nowadays, and, and I know back in the day at KG and stuff like that, uh, the tournaments were huge, but you know, all of our WCBT events as of recent have been, you know, uh, you know, 200 and 200 entries plus, um, all of them this year have been. Uh, some of the two of them have been over 260. Um, we're having 160 to 170, you know, top quality competitive players coming out, and it's just, it's just hard to make the top 32. Um, so personally, I would much rather play a shift early and try your hardest and throw that shot now. But I'd, I'd hate to not have my have a second opportunity to make that top 32 if the first shift doesn't go as planned. What, what also helps too is um, the cut money is so huge now, right? Your cut money is $500. So two shifts, you're still ahead of, you're still ahead of the game. Um, and travel isn't so hard for us, right? It's a, it's a drive to our locations. But um, if you're coming from out of province, you, you don't want to show up and throw one shift and not give yourself a chance to win some of your money back if you only need to play one more shift or, I don't know. So you're not planning, like Dexter, in in his scenario, is not planning on bowling more than one shift, but he's giving himself the opportunity. I get that. Uh, Backup plan. Uxbridge, I played the very first shift because I called uh, Jeff Canham and I said, when are the Westerners playing? He said, they're coming in Thursday afternoon. I said, sign me up. <laughs> I played Thursday afternoon. That was it. So the last shift starts Saturday, and Martin Talbot looked at me and said, aren't you bowling again? I said, no. Well, he said, what if 32 guys go past you? I said, if 32 guys go past me, they deserve to play, because I averaged 324. <laughs> 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 the, I think the, the one thing with the new tour, though, is that they there's a bigger end game to it than I think there was in the past as well. Now, once you, you have the WCBD points with the potential of a tour championship, uh, I, I think a lot of the top players, if you're not going to make that first cut, I think you have to try another bullet because there's so much more on the line. There's a, to a ton of money, uh, obviously, right? But now you've got all the extra WCBT points that could further you on. Uh, I just think it's a numbers game that it, the top players will always play two or three shifts if they're available. And quite frankly, I think they should. So <laughs> there's more at stake now than just the tournament prize itself. There's something beyond that, that missing the cut hurts you beyond just not making any money back for that entry. Well, that that's certainly different from when I was traveling to the KG and, I went to the KG because it didn't conflict with anything. Like it was one of those time slots that booking a flight for Saskatoon in February, you get, you get an odd look from a travel agent, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it fit. I didn't miss anything. Occasionally I would miss the Waterloo Yava tournament, but usually they didn't conflict. It was a free weekend for me. And 
since the first year paid well, I was able to play the next however many years on their money. So whether I made it on my one cut or not, it didn't, it, it wasn't uh, prohibitive of me to say, oh, I got to play again. Yeah. Like, okay, this year didn't go well. Yeah. I think one trend that, that we see from, from some of the out of town crowd is once they are making that, that investment of making it there for a weekend, you're talking shifts, you're talking flights, you're talking hotels, uh, they're almost all in on the weekend. So they, if they were to miss a cut, well, at least they have the opportunity of a second bullet. It's only 200 into a cost of 1500 for the weekend anyways. You might as well throw another 200 at it with the opportunity to get some of that back as well. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, is there a rebuy rebate? Uh, do you pay less on your second entry? We, we used to. We used to back in the day. It used to be a little bit of a rebate. Um but there's so much people that demand that people are just willing to keep on putting the, the two bills in and call it a day. Right. So um, we, we took that out probably about 10 years ago, guys, I think. Right. Somewhere around. We, yeah. That. At one point we had a, we had a, a rebuy rate. We had a, a buddy rate. We had a WCBT rate and they were all different. <laughs> and um, I think we went one year like that and we were like, screw this yeah. 200 across the board. And uh <laughs> We actually it's got been, more entries. <laughs> way better, yeah. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like an accounting nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It was. I remember Tim sitting in the office for like two hours with Matt Eisenhower trying to figure out the cash that came in. Yeah, I had a few beers. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was brutal, absolutely brutal. I would never do that again. Yeah, so it was way better after that. Um, Makes sense why he brought in Blair Tuck. <laughs> well, Blair, Blair wasn't there that year. Yes, Blair Blair decided to take that year off. And no, uh, I, I think Blair was there, but he was like, uh, "No, this is your problem." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that. Uh, yes, um, that probably was it too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, hey, Dex, do you have a rule book corner moment? No, but I do have a question from the crowd. Okay. Um, somebody, uh, uh, Kathy, Kathy Davidson here, um, asked uh, asked me to ask you about bowling school and um, the garden gnome beating you. <laughs> okay. So I've never been to uh, Tom's school in Saskatoon, but uh, for the last 25 years, I've been at the 05 school. And we have a gauntlet for the pros and I play on the pro side. So it's a one game event or a one ball event. Right. So if I throw a strike, the student throws a corner, I win. If I hang the corner and they throw the strike, they win. Mm-hmm. So we're playing and we've started the event and I'm not paying attention. I'm just going through and chit-chatting with the kids, throwing balls and I reached Kathy's group, and she has one of the youngest groups there. And this, the smallest guy in the school, he's 13. He looks up at me because it's his turn to bowl against me. And he says, wow, you're on 10 in a row. He'd been watching me come across <laughs> students. So as he says that, I'm not a scoreboard watcher, so I haven't realized I'm doing it. He gets up there, buries the strike, 
I hang the corner and he runs around the 48 lanes of Sherwood in Hamilton screaming, <laughs> Jim Head was on 10 in a row and I just beat him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the story. Because I, I said back at the, at the residence, I got beat by a garden gnome. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah. How long ago was that, Jim? What's that? How long ago was that? Oh, that was probably that was probably back when I was boy I was playing everything. So I would say 2007, 2008. That's awesome. That, that must be a memory that probably sticks with him forever. It's amazing the number of students that I meet through different events, whether it's Masters or the Open, and now they're adults, and they'll come back to me and say, you beat me in the in the gauntlet, or I beat you, and it took me six rounds to do it. Yeah. And I said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I faced thousands of kids, yeah. and I'm just glad they've had a good experience, and when they say that, that is my payment. Uh-huh. You know, we don't get any any payment for uh, the 05 school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those kids coming back and say, I remember. And I'll give you a for instance. Uh, last year, our open provincials were in Ottawa. And I happened to be sitting on the bench that game. And I looked and on the pair to our left was Ryan Groombridge stepping on the lane. On my pair was Robert McDougall. The next pair to the right was Taylor Hanley. And the pair to the right of that was Zach Weigel, all from different zones. They were all in my group when they were 15 and 16. They all made provincials that year. And that was the best thing I could see for the future of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, that they've, they've taken that and made that next step. And they're out there playing and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't enjoy this game, get out because it's going to drive you crazy. But don't yeah. let your enjoyment be determined by your success. You can bowl the best you can and have fun and still lose. Yeah. You know, sometimes your best just isn't good enough. There's, And I've, I've never agreed with being called the best bowler in Canada or someone else having the title because it's the best bowler that day in that house, you know, though that it's very local in that respect. Uh, yeah. You can say you're a national champion, but you didn't play everybody in the country to get it because there are steps you have to go through. People don't play. People get weeded out early. They might live in a weaker zone and have never made it there. It's, it's a, title that is used but really shouldn't be i mean i like to say the 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 four of you are top players and in my mind a top player is at the top of the sport to say anything to say someone is the best at it disrespects the sport because you can't compete against everybody. There's 40 million people in the country. <laughs> we, you know, most lanes are smaller than 48, 52. Yeah. That's why I like uh, the cash tournament so much. Because 
you get 100, 150 of the best players that are willing to put their money where their mouth is to show how well they're good, how good they are. So when somebody comes down with a WCBT title or Duxbridge or a tournament of that stature, it just, I, I feel like nationals, obviously, it's always going to hold a special place in everybody's heart if you win one. But to uh, bring home a, a WCBT title or one of those big cash titles, you beat 150 other players at that event. Mm -hmm. So you were the best that day in that house. You were the best in that tournament. Yeah. Which is taking nothing away from the bowler because that, I mean, winning any event where there are top players in is difficult. I mean, you've got to be good and you've got to have a little bit of luck because nobody wins without getting a kick somewhere. Uh, yeah. The perfect game, the, the right corner on the last ball, I thought I had a 448 again until it fell forward. But, you know, I got lucky. You don't get lucky, you don't win. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just that simple. And it's, 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 you've got to be lucky to be good, but you've also got to be good to be lucky because if you're good, you create your own luck. It comes from confidence and belief in yourself and just going out there and doing the best you can. And when you compete at your best, good things happen. Sometimes it's not quite good enough, but it, it, to bowl your best and lose, you shouldn't hang your head. You bowled your best. Uh, I, there was a match in the Masters years ago in at North End, sorry, uh, Nebs. Uh, <laughs> Santo Giotto and Jason Procher. They both start on the first nine. Santo has choice and he makes Jason throw first. Jason threw the first one. I think Santo punched, sorry, uh, Albertans, plowed. Uh, <laughs> no, but punched is good. We, just don't, we don't have we don't have plugs. <laughs> That's East Coast. Yeah, yeah. We're punch or pick. Yeah, we don't say pick much. You don't say pick much. Okay. <laughs> so, but it's you know to say both on nine in a row to say one of them didn't you know one of them lost. Well, he played his best, you know, and he threw out the head pin. It's it's hard enough to you know to, to throw to, to throw a strike without that kind of pressure on it. Uh, top players seem to have a little more luck in that execution. I think there's an experience factor in those those well, right? They've been in that moment more, and they, quite frankly, they thrive on that moment more. Uh, I remember a match the first year in the KG. I went up both sides. I lost the B side final and lost the overall to Len Anset. Phenomenal bowler and a great person. But he ran me the first match. I mean, he was so fast and I tried to keep up with him. And I've played 27 games already, so I'm a lot more tired than he is. But in an earlier match... You're bowling TV style, and there was a young fellow. Yeah, I believe he was a local, I, and unfortunately, I can't remember his name. Uh, he's standing there talking to himself as I was switching lanes. I had thrown a strike, and now I'm moving on to the other lane to throw a strike. And he's saying, you're giving it to this guy. You're giving it to this guy. And I thought, buddy, I'm taking it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, <laughs> you don't know who I am, and I don't know who you are, and let's see whose game is best. 
And I always loved coming in as an underdog, as an unknown. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen anymore. No. Uh, but uh, when I would come into the Open Provincials or the first couple of Masters, or when I went out west for that first KG, I'm a guy from Ontario. I bowl funny. People are going to take me for granted. This is perfect. Yeah. Now let's let's put some money on this match. I love I love playing for cash. Yeah. <laughs> Good old motivation. Oh yeah. It's why it's why I want to go down and play the duck pin. It's it's tough. I went down uh, the year before they put in the passport requirement at the border. Um, so I just needed my driver's license to get across, and my arm was sore for a week trying to put that much speed and rotation on the ball uh, because of my shot. I stand in the middle, I throw for the middle arrow and I throw a fairly straight ball. I need something that's going to send the pins sideways and that speed and rotation and doing it for eight games. My God, is that hard? (laughs) Uh, These guys just seem to run and gun and chuck it out well past the arrows and, if I hit the arrows, I'm lobbing it because normally my ball rolls over the foul. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's about all the time we have for this today, Jim. Um, thank you for joining us um, for most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you had some phone problems there and we have a few audio issues, but I think we handled it fairly well. And um, thanks to Robert McDougall as well. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Out. And uh, it's been running really good here. Uh, Tim just wants to do a little retraction. Yes, uh, I honestly, uh, Jim wasn't on, um, so maybe he has to go back and listen. But um, I do feel bad for one of my comments a little bit earlier about the COVID thing um, when I wasn't on there. And uh, for 65 podcasts, I felt I'd been doing pretty good. Um, So it doesn't inflect, uh, reflect any of the five pin universe or my association. So um, I got a few texts from it, so I do apologize. Um, but uh, it, it COVID does a couple strange things, and you know when when family lives are on the on the on the thing, it just uh, you get a little bit heated. So uh, I apologize, especially to mom and dad, because I know they're uh, probably uh, come talk to me tomorrow. So and whoever else is going to be there. So thank you guys. And uh, that's just something we want to <laughs> we want to uh, let people know even though a lot of people that come on our podcast and even ourselves, we are part of a lot of associations. Um, The people that come on are part of a lot of organizations. This is their own personal thoughts. Being a part of these associations are a lot of votes, a lot of board meetings. These, these thoughts aren't always what the association reflects and we don't ever want you to take it that way. And if you do take it that way, take it from me as the host and the founder of five pin universe. If you feel that we are being wrong to you and we're, um, are representing an association, that's not what it's about. And please stop listening. Um, we don't need our, uh, panelists and our guests being bombarded by people that don't see the difference between an association and a personal opinion. But anyways, thanks Jim for coming on. Uh, it's Thank you, Jim. Been awesome. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Anytime. Uh, Like I say, I'm retired, so (laughs) I'm available. I I loved it. Uh, I was nervous to begin with, but uh, 
despite the the technical difficulties, I I enjoyed it, and I wish you all the success in the future. You as well, Jim. Thank you. Pleasure having you on. Thank you. Yeah, we hope to see you on the lanes again soon here very shortly, Jim. (laughs) All right. What was that, sorry, Jim? I said you uh, you guys are opening up soon. Yeah. Next week. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Our area is still in phase one. So yeah. uh, my local bowling centers can't open yet. So, you know, get out there and throw one for me. All right. Deal. Deal. We'll do that. <laughs> awesome.